What the beep? Uh, I didn't realize you were counting it down there. I didn't see that there at all. Okay. <laughs> what the beep just happened? <laughs> Hey guys, this is your host, um, and this is What the Beep, and today joining me, I have Joe Merlino again for a part two. We really didn't get to finish up everything we wanted to last time, and we got some more stories to tell. So many stories, you couldn't fit it all into one one podcast. Exactly. I'm just loaded with stories. <laughs> we got some good ones, so we're ready to let them rip. So just to briefly recap from the uh, previous time, I spent... Uh, Grew up playing music, taught myself guitar, harmonica, took accordion lessons. Uh, Later on in high school, got interested in bluegrass music. And after I got married, got in playing banjo with uh, a local musician around here in South Jersey area, Cecil West. Played with him for a few years, then we formed a band, um, left them, and I formed a band with my friend Linda called Home Cooking. And we had Home Cooking for about 35 years it's a long time for one band to be together that's a lot of a local band yeah that's impressive <clears throat> so that uh, that carried me up until just about 10 years ago and uh, you know it was a great experience at home cooking we played a lot of places a lot of interesting things we played once for the uh, up in central park for Hidden Valley Ranch Salad Dressing, world's longest salad bar they did for Guinness Book of World Records. That's a pretty we unique played for gig. That. that was pretty cool. Did being they give veg- you any free ranch? Yeah, being a vegetarian, I had plenty to eat there. <laughs> <laughs> the salad bar was like two blocks long. That's perfect. <laughs> it was pretty interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, so then when home cooking sort of fizzled out, I had been strictly in the bluegrass realm for you know many years playing banjo and dobro. Um, but always in the back of my mind from probably from the music I heard growing up as a kid in the Italian family, you hear a lot of Tin Pan Alley type of songs, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, all great American songbook. That stuff was always in the back of my mind. Um, songs like Mac the Knife. Right. One of my favorites ever, but I never really throughout my, you know, musical life, never really had a, a, a venue, an occasion uh, an outlet to actually play that kind of music. So one of my nephews had been playing ukulele and I picked it up one day and I started playing some chords on it. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. So that was around 2009. And I delved heavily into ukulele playing. <clears throat> and I realized that the ukulele was such a great little vehicle for doing these kind of songs, the old Tin Pan Alley songs uh, that are politically incorrect today. Like, Ain't <laughs> She Sweet and the you know, those songs from that era, uh, as well as Frank Sinatra songs. I started adapting Frank Sinatra tunes to just the ukulele and vocal, and I found that it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. So, like I said, I delved heavily into ukulele playing, as well as ukulele buying. <laughs> that is true. This man has got a lot of ukuleles. Tell us about your ukulele collection. So I started out... <clears throat> Ukuleles come in, the quick ukulele lesson, they come in four main different sizes. The smallest one is a soprano, then there's one called a concert size, then there's a um, tenor size, and then baritone. So the first one I ever bought for myself actually was a tenor size because I figured it was 
a little bit closer to the size of a guitar. Wasn't sure if I would really like the small size of a soprano. And I played that for quite a while until eventually <clears throat> I was actually gifted the first soprano ukulele I owned was a gift. And uh, once I started playing that, I was pretty much strictly stuck to soprano ukuleles. So now I have in my collection a Kamaka in Hawaii. <clears throat> they say is sort of the Martin guitar of ukuleles. Uh, Kanilea is another ukulele company in Hawaii. They're the more progressive, sort of like the Taylor guitars of the ukulele world. So I have a couple each of those <laughs> in my collection. Then um, along the way, I started getting interested in the vintage ukuleles. So I hunted and hunted and found myself a nice vintage Martin. When I say vintage Martin Soprano, the one I have is somewhere between 1919 and 1921. Yeah. I can't pin the date down to the year, but it's around in 1920. That's one of my favorites that you Still have. Still in beautiful playing condition. It's such a sweet Sounds sound. lovely. Yeah. It does. It's incredible to think that it's 100 years old and it sounds it so good. It still plays beautifully. Yeah. Um, and then I also recently added to my collection uh, a Gibson. Also made ukuleles back in the heyday. That is a 1928, which is cool to me because that's the year my mom was born. Oh, that's very <laughs> cool. Gibson ukulele is as old as my mom. That is so cool. <clears throat> and... Um, yeah, so if you're out there on my YouTube or anything, you'll notice different videos have different... Uh, <laughs> While we're talking about that, give us your YouTube and Instagram information. Absolutely. I think the easiest way to get to it is to go on uh, joemerlino.com. And you can click around in there. You'll see me and uh, Beep have some some of our playing information on there. We'll get to that a little later on. But all of uh, both, actually both of our social media informations are out there. Yeah, exactly. So if you click around our YouTube. And I believe on Instagram, you're just JB Merlino. JB Merlino. It's pretty on straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I've got numerous videos on there in which I'm playing different ukuleles. Indeed. And you know, they each have a different soul, and they each yeah fit to a different type of music or a different song and literally makes a difference sometimes picking up one or the other oh it definitely does and Their i mean tones are so i can obviously relate to that with guitar because you can take one guitar to another and it doesn't mean one's bad or good they just have different tones and different timbres and it it's just like vocal voices they're, they're all very different and they have different flavors but so that was my adventures in ukulele playing which have continued <clears throat> excuse me up to this day um so probably about, I'm going to say maybe two and a half, three years ago, I had some uh, personal things happen where I actually stopped playing music for quite a while, probably two years. I literally barely played any music at all, which was odd for me, <clears throat> if anybody knows me. Because like I literally, when we had the band home cooking, uh, the day after one of my really close uncles died, we had a gig and I went to the gig, <laughs> played the gig. The, it's funny the day you after, say that. The day after my father died... I went to a gig the next morning. I think it was, I think Ryan told me it was either the day after or the day of the day that his dad died. Um, he did a gig. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. You just get and that I, in you. And yeah, you... it's. I think that's just the life of a musician. And it's not to say that you can't, you know, take a break if you need to. But sometimes you just, sometimes it makes you feel better. You need that. Sometimes it makes you feel yeah. better, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, so go on. So yeah, I had... Um, 
like I said, stopped playing music due to some personal issues uh, for quite a while. And then, um, as luck would have it, I was able to meet this great young lady. She <laughs> pulled me out of the depths of non-music playing. Well, it was absolutely my pleasure because you're, it's truly an enjoyment to play with you and you're very talented. Thank you, as well as you. Well, thank so you very much. We have our mutual admiration society. And, uh, <laughs> Indeed, yes, we do. And at the end of when we're learning new songs uh, together, at the end of when we're finished, we always have to look at each other and say, Damn, we're good. <laughs> yep, we do. Every time. We're, we're, I mean, and so modest. Modesty yeah, is course. not one of our better qualities. <laughs> <laughs> we're always impressed by what we come up with. And it kind of leads us to, like, how we would come up with our songs. I think how I even figured out you played music was, um, Joe, I, I was, he initially hired me, actually. So we just met through professional, through the professional world. But then I heard him playing one day. And I think you were playing one of those Tin Pan Alley songs. One of those songs. Tin Pan Alley songs. And probably. I grew, I, um, amusingly, similar background. My mom always listened to those Tin Pan Alley songs and jazz, and I grew up on that. So I knew immediately whatever it was that you were playing. I was like, oh, I know the words of that. And I started Which totally blew me away. I'm like, wait a minute, you're too young. How can you not <laughs> supposed to know this kind of music? <laughs> and I never had anywhere to manifest that music either until college when I started singing jazz. But, um, so yeah, I started singing along, and then we were like, Wow, you like that kind of music. I like music. I was like, well, I sing, and you played a plethora of instruments. So yeah, it was amazing that we just you know came together for one reason and wound up finding out you know yeah that we're both you know so involved in playing music. And you knew people <clears throat> like Cecil West, and I'm very good friends with Cecil West's great grandson Anthony West. So it was a sort of a weird small world connection. We kept finding all these. Yeah, that we have a lot of mutual friends and know a lot of mutual families. And that's that's the music world, the local music world for you. It's really not as big as it seems. Um, so so I, yeah. I actually have a <clears throat> kind of a, a specific memory about the first time we tried to play together. I don't know if you remember it this okay. way or not, but I, this is how I remember it. I think I broke out the ukulele and I gave you my, you know, got my guitar out for you or you had okay. brought yours over. But we were sitting in the living room here, <clears throat> just guitar and ukulele, and just going through song after song. And I was like, well, the first time you tried to, started to sing a song, I remember in, the, in my mind going, oh my gosh, this girl can really sing. <laughs> she is the real deal. I'm like, I was so impressed by that. But then I, at the same time, I also remember us that particular time not really being able to come up with a song. It was this kind of like... I do remember yeah, that. was sort of fun, but we didn't really click we, on anything. We didn't. I do remember that. We were in the living room because we usually play in the kitchen, and it just was, like, not really working. But we both were kind of like, okay, we're both pretty good musicians. Like, but we were open to keep trying. Yeah, we were open to keep trying. And then I think the next time or two, we, like, actually, like, we went home and we, like, we're like, well, what, what songs could we do together? And then I think we came back and reconvened, and we the first song we ever did that we worked out was that Alice and Krause song. How's the world treating you? And I love Allison Krauss, and you come from a bluegrass background, so... It's actually an old Leuven Brothers song written okay. back in the 40s. I didn't even know that, so... But we learned it from a recording of Allison Krauss and James Taylor. Exactly. How's the world treating you? Yeah. So, well, that was one of the songs, I mean, I think if you look on our YouTubes, you'll find it. <clears throat> the video is literally, I think, the fourth time 
we ever that played we the ever song. played it at all yeah i think it is too it's one of the very early takes which i think is why it comes off kind of sincere i really enjoy watching that video um we were both just caught up in the moment of how the the harmonies the yeah. i think the, the harmony singing is what really locked us into yeah sort of finding a niche for type of songs to do i agree i've rarely sang with somebody with harmonies well um <laughs> it's happened but rarely and um so and the harmonies in that song are just really beautiful so when they came together and we sang it was almost like just enjoying the sound that was coming out of my own mouth yeah. and that we were producing so we were just reveling in it and that was when we made the recording so and that sort of gave us gave us an idea of the type of song that we would that would suit us exactly yeah so since then we've taken on songs by like the Everly Brothers and um, yeah Johnny Cash and June Carter right Cash. and we branched out like <clears throat> today we did a song by um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers but I think that when we do them we really try to emphasize harmonies and, even in that song yeah. yeah we look for stuff that has good harmonies and uh, can open up to our interpretation with our instruments and I try to make sure I always say the right lyrics so Rita Beep doesn't punch me in the arm exactly joe uh joe messes up the lyrics sometimes and i have to put him in this place somebody has to do it (laughs) well i want to take you back before we we get away to cecil west because cecil west is somebody that was very um very uh powerful and had a big impact on this community and musically across the board very talented guy and uh again great-grandfather to a very dear friend of mine who's also a very talented musician anthony west so you worked with cecil so i yeah shortly after i got married i started getting a little more serious into uh, banjo playing although i had been playing i was just playing sort of on my own self-taught style right so i sought out a banjo player and uh, tony trishka at the time was a very popular banjo player he was living in manhattan so I took it upon myself to take lessons from him and I would go up there every two or three months and take like a three hour lesson and we'd record it. Right. So he really honed me into the actual bluegrass style of playing. And well, he's actually playing at Camp Jam. He's playing at Camp Jam in the Pines this now, year. coincidentally, yeah. just small, talking about small world stuff. But yeah, uh, I'd yeah. like to get over there and see him. Yeah, Camp up. Jam's the bomb. But anyway, go on. So <clears throat> it was during this time when I was getting you know reinvigorated with banjo playing I would go to different events. So there was some type of a festival then in Cape May, Cape May Courthouse. Somebody was putting on some type of bluegrass festival. Okay. Went down there, brought my banjo. I'm just sitting there like you would do at a bluegrass festival, just sitting there looking for people to jam with. Right. <clears throat> and a guy came down and sat next to me with a fiddle and he started playing. He's like, hey, you know this song? You know that song? And we just, uh, just randomly, out of nowhere, we both were sitting next to each other. Started talking, he's like, oh, well, you really are pretty good on a banjo. He said, it's hard to find good banjo players around. And we started talking and found out that we lived like half a mile from each other. How weird is that, <laughs> that you guys would and live so close? that was how I met Cecil West, just randomly at some festival. And where Cape was May, the festival? Cape, Cape May, May Courthouse. So that's funny, you guys traveled so this far is, from home, yeah. and you guys lived like half a mile from right. each other. This was probably, so if I got married in some years. It's probably like 1980, 1981. Wow. Okay. So where, how did your relationship develop from there? So then from there, he, you know, he exchanged information. Uh, this was, you know, obviously pre-cell phone day. So right. we wrote our numbers down on a piece of paper <laughs> and <laughs> wow. handed it to each other, paper and pen. 
Um, and then we just started, uh, as bluegrass people do, I started going over to his house and we would just jam, you know. He, right, right. He introduced me. He was pretty instrumental, no pun intended. Yeah, actually it is intended. <laughs> he was pretty instrumental and introduced me to a lot of other bluegrass people <clears throat> in the South Jersey area. Uh-huh. Uh, <clears throat> and then the more people you meet, the more people that is that, that you can jam with. Totally true, yeah. So I got to, you know, we just, we played together quite a bit just in, informally just jamming and playing in some of the Baptist churches around and stuff. Right. Um, they were playing at the time, they had a band called Cecil West and Good and Country. Okay. They were the house band at the Cowtown Rodeo. Oh, okay. So every Saturday night, they would open the show with three or four songs. <clears throat> and then during the events, so they open, say they open the chute and let the bull out. Mm-hmm. So while the guy is riding the bull, they would play music, like action music, you know. That's... As soon as the buzzer blew, it would stop. So we'd play like eight seconds of an instrumental tune. Right. Like, for dramatic ding, effect. Ding, 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 of, yeah, ding, 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 exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> so Cecil says, why don't you come and play at the rodeo with us? So I was yeah. like, oh, heck yeah. That's a great opportunity. So uh, I went there and I played with them for two years every Saturday night at the rodeo. Oh, wow, okay. And so, yeah, I know... Uh, the first eight seconds of many banjo instrumentals. <laughs> <laughs> I would play for the bull riding, so we would just kick off. As long they... as they could ride on the bull, that's how long I can play the. Yeah. Play as soon the as intro. the gate opened, we would start playing, and uh, so that was you know fun. And then we played like you know other jobs too with them. A uh, lot of jobs like at the Bridgeton, like the Moose, Vineland Moose, mm-hmm. New Year's Eve kind of jobs. You know, typical like <clears throat> club country. Yeah. Club kind of stuff. Um, and it was mostly country music at the time that we were playing. <clears throat> we did a little bit of bluegrass within the show, but it was mostly country music of the time. Okay. Uh, and some of the older, like, Jewish It's like pop country. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> but at the time, you know, it was more like what's probably classic country now. Right. George Jones. And 80s country. The 80s, right. Right. Very different country, style but... than what it is now. Yeah. Like we're talking Garth Brooks right, right. and stuff yeah, like no. that. So... Uh, since Cecil played the fiddle and I played was now in the band with the banjo, we would take, you know, within that band, we would do some bluegrass stuff because the guitar player, Tommy Huff, had no problem, you know, playing that style. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of interesting. I played with them for quite a while. <clears throat> and uh, not only played music with Cecil, but just got involved with him with some other projects. Like, you know, we'd go over his house. He was one day taking the, for some reason, taking the engine out of his little Fiat that he had. <laughs> so I went over there to help him with that. And just activities like that we used to do together, you know, right. just what for Because you guys only lived half a mile. Because we only lived, you know, right. lived so close. So yeah, it was quite, quite interesting playing with Cecil. Um, he was definitely, I mean, he was such a good fiddle player that um, one of the biggest bluegrass entertainers around now is Del McCoury. And Dell's been around for quite a while in this area, and now nationally and internationally. So Dell, at one point, had actually asked Cecil to go on the road with him. Okay. So Cecil's no slouch; he could fiddle with any, you know, any top-notch bluegrass band. He was a very, very good fiddle player. And um, <clears throat> so, from playing music with him, <clears throat> obviously, it was a lot of adventures. <laughs> oh, as is the life back, of any musician, especially anybody who goes on the road in any back, capacity. And back in those, you know, they, those guys were very old school, you know, they wouldn't go anywhere without like tipping a bottle of something. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sort of, 
I guess I became the designated driver. <laughs> Which I'm sure makes it you the best storyteller of all. Because I can remember. Guys, yep. Because you guys see it I can actually remember the stories. <laughs> yep. So this is a, as I'm trying to think of funny stories that happened and uh, ones that are appropriate to tell. <laughs> I have to have that filter on. <clears throat> this is actually a pretty good story. So one time Cecil wanted me to go play. His wife's people were having some kind of big festival down in uh, North Carolina where she came from. Okay. As Cecil used to say, she came from so far back up in the hollow, they had to pipe in daylight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they were going to have this big shindig down there, family reunion and music and all this stuff. And he wanted me to come down there to play with him okay. uh, at this event, but I couldn't go. I couldn't get off work. So I said, no, I really can't go. So as the week started to draw to a close, I told my wife, I said, you know, I said, I'm going to take, try to get off anyway, and we're going to go down there, and we're going to surprise Cecil. It's going to knock him off his seat. You know, I'm going to surprise him. I'm going to okay. show up, and we're going to play music, and it's going to be great. Right. So this was before the internet. So I, I actually don't even remember how I took, took bits and pieces of what I knew where they should be. Right. It's a 10-hour drive to get down there. That's a hike. Drove down. Got there in the late afternoon of when we were supposed to play that night. Okay. Of course, Cecil was surprised to see me. Except that when it was time to go on, Cecil had, how do you say? <laughs> he had found some moonshine. That he <laughs> <laughs> and I think he drained the bottle. <laughs> and so he was shot. So, yeah, so he was shot. So after driving 10 hours, finding this place down in the mountains, North Carolina... <laughs> We did not go on and play. <laughs> I literally drove down there just to say hi, Cecil. <laughs> That's hilarious. We like drove ten hours. Like, hey, how are you? He's like, this is some good. Yeah. Mo- this is some good moonshine. Good moonshine, but I really can't play right now. <laughs> nice to see you. Go home. <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, that's the type of thing that would. Happen. That's hilarious. <clears throat> I had to catch Cecil early in the show. I mean, I, I've that. I mean, he was an awesome person at top-notch fiddle player but just you have to laugh at the stories now in retrospect you know it's sort of funny at the time things were a little harrowing yeah like the one time when he fell off the end of a wagon when we were playing oh my <laughs> barbecue uh, another time when he fell into a drum set that is so funny so yeah we sort of always had to look out yeah for cecil but uh, he, he got me <laughs> around some great musicians i have to say you know he introduced me to a lot of the best bluegrass <laughs> musicians in the south jersey area and also other people that he knew right oh, that I'm were sure. famous bluegrass musicians he knew everybody at the time don reno bill harrell um you know bill harrell was a famous you know back in the 80s very famous bluegrass musician so we we're at the festival they were now the festival is the delaware valley bluegrass festival okay at mm-hmm. the salem county fairgrounds <clears throat> Originally, it was just the Delaware Bluegrass Festival, and it was in Delaware. Okay. So I went down there with him one one uh, weekend for the Labor Day weekend for the festival, and we were going to. Uh, he was going to introduce me to all these people. Right. So he's like, "Come on, we're going to go see Bill Harrell." We go back there, we find the bus. Cecil just grabs my hand and pulls me. We just go walking up. He doesn't never knocked or anything. Just walks up into Bill Harrell's bus and starts yelling, Hey, Bill! And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, my gosh, this guy's going to just throw us out of here. But sure enough, 
here comes Bill Harrell. And he's like, hey, Cecil, how you doing? How's Tommy Huff doing? And I'm like, oh, wow, they really do know each other. So he really... <laughs> pretty amazing. It sounds like he was quite a networker. Like, oh, yeah. Obviously, he was so talented. That <clears throat> well, I guess people just regarded him very highly. Yeah, and the other way, <clears throat> talking about networking, the other way he got to know these people is... Um, <clears throat> anybody that's old enough to remember, right down the corner from where Cecil lived was a bar called the Chicken Coop. And... Any, um, you know, top bluegrass bands that were touring, you know, coming through on their way to maybe play Philadelphia area or New York, um, Cecil would be in contact with them and get them to make a stop and play at the Chicken Coop. Oh, So there's a little extra money for them. And that's how he got to know a lot of these guys. That was very smart. Yeah. So that's that was part of his networking was getting bands into this bar called the Chicken Coop. So they would play. He would open for them and... He developed right. a relationship with a lot of and I'm sure it looked good to play with other yeah. people who oh, yeah. had something going on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty interesting times. He probably brought a lot of South music single-handedly to South Jersey. He did, yeah, and he had uh, <clears throat> he actually another unique thing about his musicianship. He, when he was younger, he told me he would listen to on the radio Chet Atkins. Mm-hmm. Well, he never had any way to see Chet Atkins. He just li- listening to Chet Atkins, right? And just assumed he was somehow picking a guitar like anybody else would pick a guitar, right? With a pick. But he was using finger picks, right? Chet Atkins was actually finger picking, but right. Cecil didn't know that, right? So he developed with a flat pick. He would play Chet Atkins style songs with a flat pick, wow! Because he taught himself to do that because he didn't know any. He better. just figured I'm gonna pick it out by ear yeah. and see, like try so that's to what do it. It sounds like you know, no, wow. <clears throat> not having the resources that we have now. Like now, right. you would find that out in a few seconds. Look, yeah, I can just look him up on YouTube yeah. and be like, "How's he playing that?" And I can watch. But but when all you have is a radio, you don't see anybody. He right. had no idea, and so he actually unless developed, you saw him in concert, which he didn't. Even that was kind of rare, right? So he actually developed his own unique guitar picking style with a flat pick sort of Chet Atkins style but with a flat pick wow that is very interesting very interesting musician yeah I was lucky to you know have met him and got to work with him yeah and that was actually even before home cooking that was pretty pretty buzzed between 79 and 81 how old were you guys approximately at that time I was 24 when I got married so I might have been 26, 27. Was he older than you? Oh, yeah. About by how much? Oh, uh, probably 15 years, I think. Oh, 15 okay. years older than me. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. <clears throat> well, these are some good stories about him. Yeah, they were certainly interesting days playing with <laughs> Cecil. You always had to be on your toes, even on stage during a song, because you never knew what, you know, as great a musician as he was, you had to be careful because you never knew what, you know, where he was mentally at that particular <laughs> time. Like, is he thinking of something else? Is he paying attention? That's and, uh, So you'd have to be prepared to uh, adapt the song to the situation. Right. He sounds like quite a character. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm just honored to have been able to play with him. Yeah, I'm jealous. And I, I wish I, I could have met yeah, him. Yeah, I run into people so often that you know, are amazed, like that, yeah. that remember him and that I used to play with him I also run into many people who know who he was because he was obviously a very uh, impactful person very charismatic yes well did we want to cover anything else before we wrapped up uh 
I don't know. There's just so much I could say about me. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, I have to please. stop sometime. <laughs> say anything you want about you. I have to stop at some point. <clears throat> no, I'm uh, right now. I'm just enjoying uh, playing music with you. Right. I'm really, you know, I enjoy the stuff we're doing. Definitely. It's been a pleasure, and I hope we continue to uh, shock people by doing <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, we'll shock you guys. <laughs> shock yeah, so I guess on that note, um, check us out on Instagram. I'm Pipers underscore song. It's P-I-P-E-R-S underscore song. And Joe is J-B Merlino on Instagram. And uh, we'll follow Go follow, like, subscribe, and all of the above. All that stuff. And uh, if you want to find out more of our social media, you can always go to joemerlino.com because he has our group on there, our group being me and him. <laughs> and we're, we call ourselves the Lucky Buggers. And uh, should we comment on how we got that name? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. All right. Why don't you tell that story? <laughs> so we were trying to. Uh, come up with a name that would be sort of like a band name for us <clears throat> instead of just using our names so uh, i don't know i came up with a couple nonsense ones and the beep all of a sudden came up with how about the lucky buggers well the story behind the lucky buggers is that's the name of my cat <laughs> lucky bugger <laughs> and the reason we named him that is that he hung around the yard hung around and hung around and uh one night came in the house he was a stray Came in the house, jumped up on the bed, and that's been like seven years ago. <laughs> he right. moved right in. He's so one he was lucky definitely bugger. a lucky bugger. Right. And I said, well, I think that would apply to both of us. We're lucky buggers. It is. So um, that's that's how we got here today. So go follow us and, uh, you know, follow our music journey. And thank you, Joe, for being on the podcast oh, Thanks again. for having me. It's been Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. All right, guys. Have a good one.